Hello, welcome to episode 9 of To The Studio. This week we've got Anna Rowan on the podcast. Anna was born in Brighton and currently lives and works in London. She makes multidisciplinary works that meditate on the relationship between the slow geological time of natural processes and the fast-paced, technology-driven, frenetic activity of humans. She works across sculpture, video, sound, performance and installation with a diagrammatic and alchemical approach to developing transitional and ephemeral pieces. Her work often focuses on the element of water as a means for representing the interconnections of ecological systems. She received her Masters in Sculpture from the Royal College of Art and her BA from Central St Martins, both of which are in London. She has attended residencies at the Scottish Sculpture Workshop, the Banff Centre and the Vermont Studio Centre. Recent shows for Hannah have included Prima Materia at Assembly Point Gallery in London, Bodies of Water, Age of Fluidity at White Crypt Space, also in London, Still Life, an ongoing story at Gallery Sebastian Bertrand in Switzerland, Becoming Lithocene at the Banff Centre for Arts and Creativity in Alberta, Canada, and I'm in the bath on all fours towards Blue Water at Well Projects in Margate. I visited Hannah in her studio at Assembly Point in Peckham and we chatted through her deep-rooted relationship with water, her background in painting, the importance of collaboration and interconnectivity, through to some more memorable experiences from her research expeditions in the Atacama Desert and the High Arctic. So thanks very much for tuning in. Here's our chat. Hey Hannah. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Thanks for having me over. Yes, thank you for coming. <laughs> it's uh, this studio. It's so lovely to be in, surrounded by so much work. It's uh, it's quite. I don't know. I don't know where to start with it. Really, I think it's best if you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if you start yeah, you talking about a what's good going moment, on. actually, because um, I guess at the moment, like a lot of things are kind of half made or unmade and I've kind of been repurposing like a lot of the structures from like my previous shows and kind of just having a lot of experiments going on so I guess there's like a lot of pipes of water and some ice melting over there um and I guess yeah I'm sort of just enjoying this time now of sort of not really making any kind of predetermined pieces or anything finished and I think the way I work is um, how I approach like installing a show is similar to how I work in the studio like kind of everything is around and then elements sort of get co-opted and sort of brought in um, and like added and subtracted I guess Mm. so yeah it's like a good moment where there's like a few things out and yeah so it's quite a free-flowing practice. There's things in some works that aren't tied down to one particular mm. piece of work. It's quite a... Yeah, I've always... Work. That has kind of become sort of a core part of my practice, I guess, over the years, in the way that I do repurpose a lot of the materials from, like, economically and, like, from a you know, ecological perspective, like... I sort of view it that when the installation comes apart, 
all the elements go back to being what they were. So the tank is still a tank and the light is still a light. Mm. And the piece of copper pipe is a piece of copper pipe. And um, then they can come back together and sort of be featured in a different assemblage. And I guess that sort of, that for me came about from when I first finished my BA. And I actually came from a painting background. And I was sort of really struggling with how to make painting on canvas work for me in the way I was going to keep like generating work and I just wanted to keep sort of um, keep making stuff and then I sort of that was when I started to like expand my materials and I was painting on things that were maybe not traditionally you would paint on Mm -hmm. like tarp or um, getting like materials left over from my job because I work on like film sets and like painting on sort of like lighting paper gels so that kind of way of gathering materials um, and then putting them together and then moving on sort of over the years has kind of intensified because I've had a lot of um, temporary studios from sort of doing residencies or sublets so the way going to work in a kind of place you've not inhabited before an empty studio I'd sort of you know go to hardware stores or see what materials are around so in that sense I've always kind of reused or reconfigured materials and then I have like my favorite bits that I'll you know collect or you know I use like those clips a lot and meat hooks Mm. and ice screws and then the kind of cast elements and the more fabricated elements I kind of keep on this shelves behind you Mm. And then they'll kind of like come in and like have their moment in the work. But yeah, I'm I'm never precious about thinking this belongs to this work, you know? Like everything can kind of move in and out. And then that that way it kind of enables me to continue like keeping the studio like a dynamic kind of space for working in, I guess. Yeah. And how is it that you gather these materials? Are you always looking for... Mm. for things to feed into the work like this kind of library of materials behind us here yeah I think I have like a sort of I think when you first look at the work it seems like whoa there's like (laughs) a lot there (laughs) and then um, actually there are certain kind of elements that travel through to keep some sense of continuity like I you know I like the mild welded steel use a lot of copper and a lot of glass so that then there is still this thread that kind of ties the pieces together and like Mm. I say often it can be unclear where one work ends and another begins and even if I'm making something in the studio if I install it for a show the minute I take it apart and put it together again something else will happen Mm. like it just does and that's what that's what kind of keeps it exciting as well Mm. like oh hang on a second Mm. So, yeah, I guess they're like, I have a lot of glass tanks, those have been acquired. And then, yeah, I guess the materials library, there's like cool elements like salt and blocks of salt. And then these 3D prints behind here and the ceramics. So I just think, ironically, I moved away from painting because I wanted more <laughs> space to work and I didn't want my studio to be a storage space. And I'm like having a bit of a reflection now because like, hang on a second, I've got all this stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I guess like the, 
the pieces of this fabric here that's hung in a knot mm. like this was a larger print that then I've sort of like tied up so it's kind of like having everything to hand and then you know needing to like fix something in a certain way I think that's why I have everything sort of on show in the yeah. space and then like the boundaries between kind of work of art and like where the work is made get quite blurred so there's kind of like an in-process feel to things that could be becoming or entropic and that mm. does tend to carry through into how the work's presented as yeah. well like things aren't really fixed mm. and they're um, moving through material states and yeah like even this piece here it's like a really crusty salt piece of copper like that has just like grown and grown and grown so it's also interesting to keep pieces around and then see what life they take on afterwards yeah. you know yeah yeah so having that environment around you of constantly being in flux and things must change from a day to day it must be it must be quite exciting I guess coming into the studio each day and wondering what's gonna or, yeah. or say if, if you don't come in for a week and say this this piece of work down here you mentioned with the copper to see how that shifts within mm. within a week must be quite it must be quite exciting yeah you have some little treats that, yeah. <laughs> that actually happened because I was working on these copper pieces over there yeah and then I was at work all of last week and then when I came in on Monday it's like oh the water's evaporated and the crystals have grown mm. so that's a fun but then also I do need kind of uh continuous time as well sometimes like it's nice to come in and move things around and change things up but also when you kind of get thrown out of it again it for me it's like a very meditative space yeah. in the way I have a lot of these little intricate elements that I'm kind of placing and configuring or balancing that to then be away and then come back it's sort of like reacquainting yourself with everything mm. as well um but generally just because I spend a lot of time with the materials and kind of working out their relationships to one another that it, it does become quite a meditative space, I guess. Like, it's important for me that it feels um, like a good place to be in, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like that. <laughs> it definitely feels like a nice place to be in. I mean, water, water makes me calm and the dripping, but also the dripping could be like a bit of torture for some people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well we can, there's, there's lots, well I wanted to ask a lot about kind of that, that aspect of the work. Um, the first of which really I guess is the fact that you, you grew up in Brighton, right? Yes. Surrounded by, well, by the water, obviously the sea, salt water. Um, do you reckon that kind of, or do, does that have any relation, to, do you think, to your interest in water and now mm, in the world. yeah this is something that more recent years I've really thought about a mm. lot because I did grow up by the sea and also my dad is from Ireland and when I was a kid every summer like, my parents would take us to this like a windy beach in the west of Ireland and being spending a lot of my childhood around sea and like large bodies of water I've always found really grounding and then there's always been this kind of like pull I've had even when I was painting to sort of like waters and landscapes and I sort of like now as I reflect on it and like going home and going back to Brighton just having that end or that break mm. to something um, 
it feels like it's sort of built into me, like my psyche in some in some sense. And mm. I think over the years, I've really sort of like been been drawn to actually work with water in this way, and it's sort of made me kind of unpick that um, where where that might have come from, I mm. guess. Mm. And I suppose, like, for me, I think just before maybe I was starting um, my MA, I was really starting to bring water into the work or think about it because I was doing residencies in places like Banff, for example, in, like, the Canadian Rockies. These, like, quite um, majestic places. Mm. and also I was often seeking residencies that were in more remote places because I, on a personal level, I really enjoy being like outdoors or in like, mountains or white water. And, and I was sort of thinking about, you know, I, I really care about like the environment mm. and ecological systems. And I was sort of thinking it's great doing residencies in these places, being amidst these big systems and reflecting on, you know, the role of water and mm. the rivers and the lakes and then that, that was when the water was also coming more into my work and it was kind of like connecting these two parts of me in a sense and then I think the kind of condensed boiling of being on an MA and like focusing on that and when it came to writing the dissertation that I was thinking a lot more about like fluidity it sort of really kind of came together in that time. Mm. Did you find that, what was the dissertation on? Did you find it useful? Yeah. We were in the same dissertation we group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shout out to Esther, <laughs> our dissertation tutor, Esther Teichman. She was great. I really yeah, liked that group, actually. Yeah, same. It same. was a good group. Um, actually, saying that, I just remember Zoe was... Oh, Zoe really? Marlon, yeah. Another uh, friend of the podcast. She was ever seen that Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hers, she, yeah, we had some really good conversations, actually. Mm. She was writing on witchcraft. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, my dissertation was called The Liquid Fragment, mm-hmm. like Swimming in Data, Drowning in Melting Ice, and that was when I was really, again, thinking about, like, uh, kind of within my work, I use a lot of um, kind of lo-fi technology, I guess, with, like, the lights and the cables, and it's kind of, uh, well, it is a nod to, you know, ubiquitous, like, screens and, like, um, accelerations of technology and so I was sort of trying to reconcile or wrestle within my work these ideas of um, swimming in data um, and then the idea of drowning and melting ice and sort of reconciling these two positions that were both quite ungrounding in terms of climate catastrophe but mm. also like technological ubiquity where you're kind of immersed in this like data so I was sort of working through that and I think having that time to research um, a topic and then see how it influenced your work, it sort of like kick-started something for me, which now I, I still consider, although I have a very material practice, mm. like research, it's still grounded in research yeah. to a degree, like I kind of go away, collect information or absorb information and then it gets kind of, the output is like quite a material sort of, spatial configuration Mm. but um through that like water and thinking about scales of water is kind of it's still it's still something that like fascinates me and Mm. has been the topic of um what 
brings my work together, I suppose. The water yeah. kind of runs through like the different scales of water. Um, thinking about that on a kind of more bodily level and obviously like a cosmic planetary scale as well. Yeah, yeah. And these residences you've been on, you've been to, you've been everywhere, Scotland, New York, I do. Canada. <laughs> um, and the most recent two, you've been to the, is at the Atacama Desert. Yes. And the Arctic. Yeah, 2017 was the Atacama Desert. Yeah. And that's the driest non-polar desert on Earth. I was going to say, it's complete extreme. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I went as a challenge because yeah. I, as well as working with water, I just like, I drink a lot of water. Yeah. So when I tell my friends I was going, they're like, how are you going to cope? Because I feel like you're obsessed with water. Um, I just, yeah, that was amazing, really. And that, the research I was doing in the Atacama yeah. really was um, kind of connecting to two years later being in the Arctic, mm -hmm. um, well, around Svalbard, which is just below the North Pole. And um, yeah, it was a similar sort of kind of structure to the residency. It wasn't, they weren't like studio residencies, which have also found very useful for making work. They were more, you know, you're on the move, collecting research. Mm -hmm. um, so I was using that as a way to kind of gather, I guess, and like learn was doing a lot of sound recording and video and some performance and um, especially like in the Atacama Desert I just felt like I had a lot to learn from the people who live there mm. and who are experiencing these like, immense changes um, and yeah I do love a residency <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's just really helped me to um, especially in terms of making work mm. I think because like the bronze here, I did at the Scottish Sculpture Workshop and that was just, um, compared to like making something in London, it's just having the kind of time to be, to be making it yourself, but it's also like it cuts down the cost so much more because you're just, you're, you're just paying with the materials, you know, and you're yeah. not paying like London workshop fees. And it was, yeah, it was like a really great place. I'd done a little bit of, um, like aluminium bronze casting but at Scottish Sculpture Workshop it was way more hands-on mm. which is really good like the head technician there is very much like you just like learn and if you like fuck it up then yeah. <laughs> you learn from that yeah. mistake yeah but it was and even just like yeah pouring the pouring the molten metal like how liquid that was that was like quite a buzz because um, so with each of the residencies you've been on recently, has there been like a similar goal that you've gone into them mm. with, or have they, or have they shifted? So in yeah, to, like, I think I split how I approach residencies like in two ways, and one would either be to go and make work and um, use facilities and sort of. I guess a production residency, which yeah. was how um, the Scotland one worked for me because it was in the build up to the show at assembly point, and I sort of went with the idea that I was going to try and like fabricate a lot of the stuff there. Mm. And again, similar in Banff, it's like just a really good chance to like, I really think through making and I like the chance to do it myself. And I might have gone with a plan, but then something else obviously comes in so with scotland i went with this idea of like doing 
this bronze asteroid here it's hanging but then I ended up really getting into ceramics as well <laughs> and getting encouraged to do iron pouring and it's all like re- they use like recycled iron as well so it's just mm. this like heap of like scrap metal and you're just outside in the snow just mm. like bashing it apart um, so that and like the BAM centre I've been to twice and, and that's just been again I think a really just having that focus and the kind of the space and the facilities, mm-hmm. I feel like I can be a lot more productive there. Mm-hmm. And for a while before I did my MA, I didn't even have a studio. I just did residencies. And that mm-hmm. was why I didn't used to have as, you know, much stuff. That. And, um, and then the research ones, like the Arctic I'd sort of known about for like quite a while before. And mm-hmm. obviously I worked with ice a lot in my work. And I really, felt like it's important to have um, to, to go to this this place that really figures in my work mm. and kind of yes I had some intentions but like I went with the idea to do 3D scanning and photogrammetry but actually that's quite a time consuming process you need to be really focused on and I just got there and just was so excited by everything that I couldn't even <laughs> stay still I was just fucking mm. <laughs> around <laughs> and then I saw I knew I had wanted to work with performance there as well and have something that was more tangible and personal and tactile and I actually ended up just doing a lot of scanning with my hands with the ice instead of like 3D scanning okay. which I do a lot of mm. and I was actually really pleased with that as a performance because I sort of felt like I was making a lot of video and sound which is great and um, but it's also very hands-off and I like wanted that kind of intimacy with like the place and where I was so that again just sort of having a project that pulls you somewhere but Mm. then something else kind of happens as well and it's like that's where collaboration is really great as well in these kind of places because you meet a bunch of like artists or researchers who have like really overlapping interests to you and you kind of share and um you know lend each other equipment and like that is as much as part of it like meet, meeting people yeah. who you're kind of sharing a dialogue with who live in another part of the world and with yeah the Atacama Desert the what kind of the reason I wanted to go there was um obviously driest place on earth well that's you know <laughs> that's something but um, it's also where a lot of the lithium mines are located and I think that's a very kind of complex scenario that's happening right now when because lithium is like used in rechargeable phone batteries and I was yes looking a lot at kind of the overlaps of technology and then geology and like deep time and acceleration and the Atacama Desert was this place that kind of embedded within it there is this like extraction um, of a like a rare earth metal to like enable this like tech boom so it was kind Mm. of like the way these time scales were kind of condensed within a place but then this lithium takes like vast amounts of water to extract so it was just a really kind of complex place to be in when thinking about like the role of water in this already really like arid environment and like the way the residency was structured is the the organizers really wanted us to kind of like 
learn and like kind of bear witness to what's happening to like the indigenous communities there and mm. how that's affecting their way of life with the resource extraction so even now like two years on like this parts of the Atacama Desert that I'm trying to make sense of or do justice to in that kind of okay. complicated yeah. scenario so yeah and then I just I guess the two kind of felt it was interesting to see how these two places have actually like overlapped mm. and will overlap in in the work in the future I think having this kind of one hand or this like melting ice and rising water and then the other this like dry thirsty environment yeah yeah were there any experiences in either place that kind of that stick out to you now Oh my god, I've got a good one. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I love blue, obviously. Blue things in water, and in the Atacama Desert, um, I we we went to these like high altitude salt lagoons, and so there was water there. Very exciting, and um, the rest of the terrain is like rusty, kind of you know, Martian kind of. or kind of salty kind of warm colors and then there's these like blue azure blue kind of sinkholes up in the mountains which is where that image there is from mm. and um i was just so you kind of don't want to be out in the desert in the midday heat because it's like you know yeah. it's dumb yeah <laughs> and um i was so excited the rest of the group like had gone back to sort of you know take some shelter and eat some food and I was like oh my god this is incredible so I was like filming recording the salt cracking and it was deadly quiet so it was just me like filming this um lagoon and I could just hear the salt cracking and then I had this like splat sound and my nose had been running and I was like what the hell is like going on and I just got this like gushing nosebleed from the <laughs> from the like think the altitude and the aridity but also when I was younger I used to get nosebleeds when I got like a bit nervous or excited yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I think it was maybe like a combination yeah. of these like these all these things happening and so I felt like I'd, I'd really been getting like I'd maybe consumed too much from this place and it was sort of telling me hang on a second like give us something back yeah. a little bit because I'd just been sort of you know like recording and just like taking it all in so that was um yeah that was quite memorable just because I think I got so excited by this like arctic color in the desert it was so unexpected and then I think the thing that sticks out to me in the arctic was when we were so we were heading north like um trying to get to the pack ice mm. Um, which is where it's like the ice that freezes to the North Pole. So this kind of idea, we were on, the residency was on, on a ship. So the idea was that we were going to try and attach to the ice and like tow the ship through the pack ice. Yeah. And we got to the ice and then I think like the engine went down. So the crew was like, while they were sort of, you know, trying to fix that mm. and the navigation went down, the ice had just come in around us all and we got stuck in the ice oh, for like 18 hours. And um, <laughs> so we were like loving it because it was, it was <laughs> like from Frankenstein or something because it was this mystical kind of ice being just 
you know, mm. coming in around us, like pushing up against the side of the boat. Obviously, the crew are kind of like a bit stressed. Um, but for everyone else, it was most days they would try and get you on land. So you were like off the boat. Mm. I think we'd had like, we'd already been gunning it up north to reach the pack ice. And then from getting stuck in the ice, we didn't like hit land for a couple of days. So people were getting a bit like giddy, but it was just like, I guess like the kind of the impact of it and being sort of surrounded by these kind of big sheets of ice. And then it was only when we got back to land that we kind of, everyone in the town of Long Yibien, um, which is the kind of one of the biggest Northern settlements like possibly, mm-hmm. um, possibly the most like in terms of its size northerly settlement and um everyone there knew we'd got stuck because they could see on the like you know you can see where the different ships are so the captain was getting teased quite a bit about like that fact but we kind of reflected when we got back we could have been the most northerly vessel in the world at that point but for me it was just really powerful because it was kind of drove home the power of like the ice to be sort of totally stuck in the way that we were mm. um that just felt yeah pretty intense and i will also say something that has stuck out from the arctic experience was how much plastic we found really yeah really bleak like oh, no. just most places that you land and apparently like there's far more just frozen in the ice still mm. So those were kind of like two different experiences that um, really sort of stuck with me, sticking mm. with me. Mm. Quite harrowing. Yeah, it's awful. It's it's just I think because you sort of walk, you land somewhere on a beach, and there's like no footprints. There's no because Svalbard doesn't have an indigenous population, so you know humans aren't the presence isn't felt so much in the way that this is a place where people have been. Mm. You know, there's a few like main settlements. Um, But there's, there's not that kind of longer relationship with the land. So you're going to places and you're just like, there's no footprints here. But then you like look down and like something's glinting and you think it's a colored stone. And it's like, oh, humans, like they have actually been here. Like we're there. And you just feel like you're so far away but then you're not just yeah so i wasn't expecting that that the scale of that that's really sad yeah yeah shit well i i I guess whenever i've experienced your work um maybe uh i wouldn't say it's, it's, it's harrowing but it's kind of it's been deeply affecting for me in some ways because of the concept of time that you're what i'm always confronted with when i look at your work um and uh, yeah, especially kind of in in reference to like the specific materials that you use, whether it's like melting ice, whether it's things dissolving, um, yeah. And there's always been like a a nod to kind of time passing, but also kind of quite serious kind of global issues that we're conf- that we're kind of confronted with um, a lot. And it's it's kind of time something you think about when you're creating the work Mm. and kind of yeah yes I think I feel like time really or ephemerality or temporality Mm. really runs through the work and the materials and I think 
the ice is a very clear way to illustrate that because it's you know it's almost like a clock ticking or some kind of memento yeah. mori you yeah. know it's like a pulse mm. and um as it's a perceivable um change that's happening whereas i think there's deeper slower times more like geologic time in the work with something like crystallization like mm. salt crystals growing or um the salt like eroding um but i think for me that i that is something i really i do i am kind of aiming to get across which is that sense of like real time like materials and acting unfolding and how they can stand into or like reflect on um wider systems either like ecologically or technologically and that sense of like fragility like there are kind of some quite robust materials but then there's also there's a precariousness to like a lot of the work in the way that something could be removed mm -hmm. and things might fall apart so it's perhaps growing or um you know dissolving mm. disappearing and i think with all the, the shows that i've done and how i present my work the idea is that you come one day but it will look totally different another day and the way that the water that water might start out you know clear and become more kind of mm. cloudy or like there'll be sediments so that kind of i think time like and that you've like picked up on that is actually something that really kind of grounds a lot of the work i know time is such like a big word to stamp on so i think that's the way i think about it is ephemerality and yeah. kind of um fragility and transience mm. and different rhythms of time and different time scales and i kind of yeah i, I, I want people to feel kind of pulled in and absorbed by these mm. like intricate moments uh that are perhaps somber but also create an uneasiness like there's beauty yeah. there but there's also you know initially like water and light it's quite seductive but then my sort of aim is to make it quietly unsettling or disturbing mm. as well when you actually maybe look at what's happening in the work yeah yeah it definitely works for me <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it, it, it has done it has it has done whenever yeah whenever i've been whenever I, i've seen it it's, it's always been the first thing that's kind of yeah, that's always been kind of that's, that's jumped out to me. It's this kind of yeah, you see like kind of time passing quite visually mm. in in front of your eyes, and then you see the fragility of and the balance of of things. Um, and yeah, you mentioned like the plastic and all of that kind of and all of that kind of stuff that humans are doing to the world, and it does those things. It does kick up those things in my head, and actually, I don't know. In in some ways, I when I I feel quite guilty. Oh no! But but not in like a but in more like a more in a whole sense of like okay. God like look at these look at these things that are that are that are so fragile mm. and that are in such a fine balance and that just to be mindful of how we might kind of put our mark on that or disrupt it in in some way um, it's definitely not a, a negative reaction but yeah, it's quite powerful yeah like because I, I definitely with the work like and I think the ecological kind of pulse of the like I it's like an element of what it means to exist in this moment when you know there are these cosmic forces of mm -hmm. technology and climate crisis um 
and then how that is embroiled in like a deep geologic time and I think I don't want the work to be preachy and in that sense like it's very but the the how what you're talking about an awareness that's Mm. like really I'm very happy that you said that because I you know I it's hard to always know if that's that's what comes across or what people get but I think a sense of embodiment of your body in a place yeah. and in your surroundings and feeling interconnected or part of something and I sort of I, I want people to feel aware of themselves and you know even in terms of the water that runs through you and surrounds yeah. us yeah, um, so that kind of sense of like connection and like fragility and like presence of um, and feeling like a sense of intimacy or like tactility with these kind of disappearing elements that's sort of um yeah i'm trying to pull up people in in that way so they connect it to their own kind of bodies and feelings and um thoughts of how to situate yourself in all this noise and Mm. information that we're surrounded by having people move through the work as well is really important to me in that sense of like the the work is changing and like there's water maybe moving from tank to tank sorry mm. about that <laughs> um yeah this sense of like embodiment and scale and i'm really interested in how something small can stand on something a lot bigger so yeah. you know like a you know like fragments of um i like reuse a lot of stuff even the like when i'm casting like i'll collect all the little like fragments it's like when you i don't eat eat animals but like you know if you were to like have a steak and you'd like use the offal or whatever Mm. like that's kind of how i make my sculpture as well like i use every bit Mm. to make it so then having these like little fragments um or like lone like salt crystals that kind of can stand in for something yeah. and but still be quite small and intimate and I know that when, because there's so many elements not everyone's gonna like really zoom in like that but you know some people do and some people have that sort of sense of like scale and um that's yeah I guess that sense of like the time passing through the work and through you and even in this conversation obviously we're like watching this ice go down yeah. those are kind of that reflective moment I guess yeah so is there like a hierarchy for you in terms of your materials or is is kind of the process more important to you than the final state of something is or is it all um, as, as, as one thing or do you yeah. s- the, as in like the, what's the most like important yeah yeah I guess that's yeah. what like what's, um, what is the most important thing for you in in the kind of whole process of well, I think it's often the conversations between them. So the tank of water is not really doing anything on its own without, for me, without the ice dropping into it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's something being revealed, whatever, like sometimes I'll freeze elements in the ice. So there isn't really a hierarchy I think that's what's quite important for me is the way that it's like when thinking of like a mesh or an entanglement or a system that the idea of many networks like not being able to find the center or the top um 
although I like work with like planes of view quite a lot, like it's kind of this, you know, these kind of horizontal mm. planes of glass and then a lot of vertical um, steel elements. But I think sometimes like there can seem to be like a core element like in the work, but then you might zoom in and there's like a little piece of string hanging, which yeah. is like a kind of punctuation point, mm. you know, that sometimes mm. will kind of hold hold it together. Mm. So yeah, I don't I don't feel like there's a hierarchy. I definitely have like some certain materials that I lean to a lot, yeah. which I guess if I was to boil my work down and like the essentials, I'm really interested in what happens with salt and water and like water when it evaporates and like salination with like sea and water. So I think and copper and salt and water. So I think there's probably like some core materials there that enact upon each other. Okay. Okay. I'm like working with the copper a lot at the moment now, which is quite excited by. These, these, these Yeah, that came from the copper. I was using the water from these like salt and copper pieces mm -hmm. um, and then kind of putting them on these. They kind of like connect again like the leftovers like I kind of keep the water from installations and use it in another work as well so mm. I'm kind of interested in those because they're kind of the crystals are growing on that work and I'm not quite sure how they're kind of surprising me I guess which yeah. is nice to like observe them yeah so in one way or another it's kind of a completely sustainable art, art, art practice huh <laughs> in, in one way or another it's well, completely sustainable well I don't know <laughs> It's a highly material art practice, but yeah, I do. I I reuse everything. Yeah. Like again, and yeah, that's sometimes you're d dismantling a work, and then you're like, oh, maybe like, this. Yeah. <laughs> so I always encourage myself to take stuff apart, like to not be precious about it. Yeah. Because you can be like, oh, you know, mm. and then whenever I tidy it I think that's when I make some of the best pieces because I'm moving stuff around and I'm like what if this and it's <laughs> there's often like a there's a core idea there like yeah. um, what happens if this does this mm. or I hang this or I put a microphone here but then how that's presented is quite improvised as well you so know does, it's that like kind of reactive yeah so does that freeness have a parallel with how you might approach a show yeah yeah so like with so with the show um, in Assembly Point, mm. I had had the works, but again, well, what I was that space compared to the studio I was making the work in, it, they just were not relatable at all. So yeah. I sort of had these kind of elements that then had a week to install, and it was just so nice because I knew the sort of what each piece would roughly be doing and how they connect. But then there were things that I'd planned that then actually something else happened but I kind of had my material library on site and then with the white crypture it was similar like I just basically moved my studio in and worked there for the week and we sort of knew it was going to feel like a body or a system and that the piping was going to be a key role but then kind of it happens in situ as well and I think I often I make work with the idea of the like space it's going to inhabit mm in but then also something else happens like when installing it yeah. so it's like definitely have a framework there but those kind of making reactions um 
in real time and, and the work not being predetermined is like mm. quite important to me, even mm. in the sense that the work is changing and if I was to install a piece somewhere else, it, it wouldn't be the same work. No. It's quite a fresh openness to, to all that, really. Because I would, I would have assumed, say, at least at the White Crip show, it looked like everything was kind of not planned out, but it, it, it's, it's, such, it's such an intricate interplay of everything to then... So I, I just assumed that all, that all of that interplay was kind of uh, not worked out fully beforehand, but kind of everything kind of knew where it, where it would go and how things would react, so it's quite... Um, Yes, that that openness is, is quite is quite interesting for me to yeah. kind of approach these things with kind of armed with a, a sense of what you might like to happen or you might expect to happen. But yeah. I think I trust I I'm trusting it more the more opportunities I get to try it out. Yeah. Like before the White Crypt show, I went a lot to the space. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's too much, but I would just be like standing there like. Hmm. <laughs> and I definitely don't, you know, it's not like totally around where I was going to chuck this in here. Mm. But, but, and I, you know, kind of, I guess that embodying the space and like how you pass through the rooms. And I always knew that I wanted it to feel like um, the subterranean kind of bodily system, thinking about like veins and yeah, rivers. Yeah, yeah. So the pipes in the corridors were kind of always going to happen as a way of connecting the works. And the kind of the first room, I sort of had an idea of the work that would go in there. But then the rest of it, I had sort of two more fixed pieces that were from my degree show. Mm. And then the others, what's really fun about having a show that's bigger than your studio is then you can like <laughs> make it there. And, yeah. and Ace from White Crypt and the guys at Assembly Point were just really trusting with that. Like they visited my studio and they kind of understood that like my work is dynamic and... I was really grateful that they trusted me yeah. in doing that because I I didn't necessarily trust myself before the white crypt. That's why I kept like going to the space. <laughs> yeah. I was nervous. Yeah, sure. But um, I think yeah, realizing when you have like having the motifs of certain like structural continuity, mm. and then being able to improvise off that was sort of like quite important because yeah I surprised myself as well. Yeah. But there was yeah I definitely spent like with the assembly point show as well spent a lot of time just standing like in the space when there's already another show in there yeah. <laughs> like mentally like positioning things um with the tape measure and stuff but yeah i think it's like being able to trust trust in myself that that's how i work as mm. well mm. and yeah that's that's happening more yeah. so have you got have you got an, another opportunity to do that anytime soon um well, not the assembly point, not on that like scale. That was that was nice to have yeah. that amount of space. But um, I'm, it's quite interesting actually. Next year, doing um, a window vinyl in a space that it's just a window. So that's kind of mm. like the opposite for me. Yeah. So that would be kind of interesting and a good chance for me to use a lot of the images I take. Yeah, and, like, I was going to say you've got, must have a lot of stuff from. Yeah these residencies yeah like yeah. I bring them in with the like prints on the silk and like I involve the images but it would be it would be a good challenge for me to maybe commit to something 2D yeah. um, but otherwise yeah and I have I'm doing like a more research residency so I haven't I'm sort of enjoying just playing around with things at the moment mm. um, and seeing 
like I, I, I want to test out working with glass and I feel like I'm, it's good to have like a step back and not having that deadline to sort of push, bring a new material in to the, to the makeup of it all. Mm. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's time actually to, you may be aware by now, at the end of these podcasts, mm-hmm. I asked our guests two questions. Okay. <laughs> I listened to Victor's <laughs> So, So the first question um, I ask is, if you could um, visit any artist in their studio, or anyone for that matter, really. Anyone? I would say anyone. Oh. I would say anyone. Oh. Um, in their studio. They can be living or dead. Yeah. Um, who would you visit and what would you want to ask them? Um... That's interesting, it might not be an artist actually. I, I think, I was thinking Nancy Hull, mm-hmm. in, and not go to her studio, but go to the desert, to Utah. Cool. Um, because I think what she was doing at that point with like land art and thinking about connection to the environment and the land, to talk to her now and where we are now and to see her thoughts on that mm. would be super interesting. And also just like the way she was doing that um, in such a male-dominated I have, kind of I, arena. I, I female land artists. Yeah, I, ashamedly, I, I don't know. I so don't, what works? What, what so works? this is the thing. Um, Smiths and Spiral Jetty, they were partners. So, you know... It's like a bit of a Pollock, Lee Krasner situation <laughs> that she's sort of quite overlooked. Okay. But yeah, Nancy Holt has these sun tunnels um, that in, and she's worked in the land, a lot of land art. Mm. And yeah, I think uh, it would just be interesting to see how, what these kind of artists felt now in the mm. context we're in and if they would still approach making work in that way. Mm. Do you think? Do you think she would? I don't know. I think it's yeah. I think it's perhaps it's exist in that t- that time mm. maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, and if not a if not a artist, then I well, not a visual artist mm. like Virginia Woolf, just because love to <laughs> chat to her. <laughs> <laughs> Good answers. Yeah. Um, and the last question is: um, Has there been at any point? something that somebody has, has said to you or a piece of advice that you've been given um, that's kind of stuck st- stuck with you um, and kind of remained important? Mm. It doesn't have to be just one thing either. So I think I remember coming out of my BA and it was a friend that said this to me, um, Ben. Mm. He said, time to money to art, which I still think about, which is like just how you manage your time and work, which connects to other advice I've had, which is like, keep your overheads low with everything else so that you can spend as much time making work and find a job that enables you to do that. Yeah. So that that is something I've sort of tried to like, think about time to money to art. Um, yeah. Do you think you've... You're nailing it. No, <laughs> but I think it's a good thing to like, to kind of come back to yeah. and to like just step, be like, what, what can, 
when you're feeling jaded or whatever mm. by this context you're you know working in be like what enables me to work but also spend as much time doing my work how can I do factor my time to money to art mm. in the most like efficient way yeah um on that yeah that was something that I try to think about I don't think I've got but I think it's good it's good advice for artists yeah yeah it's I'm sure it's something that everyone I think that comes of knowing yeah how to manage your time yeah Yeah. it's super tough yeah it's a super tough thing yeah and I think it's like within that it's like actually caring about finding something that you care about what you're making because well it's a bit like in RuPaul's Drag Race and he's like if you can't love yourself (laughs) (laughs) do you know so but I think that's the most because to keep going you need to really care about what it is you're doing yeah Yeah. good advice thank you Um, is there and lastly is there anything that you'd like or anywhere or any person that you'd like to plug anyone I'd like to plug or just any have you got anything coming up have you got yeah or any um I've got this podcast I'm recording that's coming (laughs) (laughs) so no I'm doing um something with these people that have been really great actually basic channel projects and they've just launched and they invited me up to Sheffield to do a research residency and I'm really excited about it because um, yeah they're just sort of looking at ways to enable and facilitate artists to have long-term research and um, doing a little micro residency with them Mm. um, in at the end of the month but yeah I just think what they're doing is great because they're doing that alongside you know their jobs and their own work and they're sort of starting this new project that um, is yeah nourishing artists I guess yeah um, yeah so. good thing how would people how do people find them are they, they are like- on they are called basic channel projects and they are on they have a website which thinks that probably that name and Instagram but I'm yeah I'm going up to Sheffield and we're gonna go uh, to like a limestone quarry and do various site visits so I'll like probably post that on Instagram or something cool yeah. watch this space yes thank you <laughs> well thanks so much for having me over it's been such a privilege really to be surrounded by all this work and seeing it in flux before my eyes it's been a yeah it's been a real privilege so thanks very oh, much for having me you. over thank you thanks for coming that's okay that's okay, okay. bye bye <laughs> <laughs>so thank you very much for listening to us all the way through please find more information about what was discussed on the podcast in the notes section and if you like what you heard and would like to keep up to date with new episodes then please subscribe to the podcast and also follow our instagram which we regularly update with posts about each guest and all goings on with the podcast also if you can spare a moment please leave us a lovely review and that would help us out a lot As well as that, if you have any suggestions or opinions you wish to share with us, then please feel free to do so on any of our social media platforms or send us over an email. 
All of our details are again in the notes section of each podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.